maintenance of workload for them because a lot of these young athletes that I see and I see a lot of these high performance athletes anywhere from 13 to say 17 years old is they have so much on the go these days versus when I was a kid and I'm sure when you when you were um, a youth athlete as well as they have multiple high performance teams that they're on with multiple practices a week with training now involved in there with school with school sports and the list keeps going on and on and I'm sitting there going holy shit, how do I manage this athlete physically? But more importantly, how do I manage this athlete mentally so they don't just hate their life and want to stay in and quit everything? Because as soon as they lose that love for the process, you're going to get athletes, like you said, that reach that upper echelon that are completely ready to be done with everything involved with that sport. Welcome to the Off Ball Podcast. My name is Martin Reeder. I'm a 2012 beach volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and movement leader. Here at the Off Ball Athlete, we're really exploring and redefining what it means to be an athlete when you do not have the ball or the implement. So arguably, you only have the ball 1% of the time. So what are you doing when you don't have it to prepare yourself, to invest in your development, to impact the outcome of the game? We're talking physical preparation, stress management, sleep hygiene, and lifestyle. Really, the complete athlete is one that takes care of themselves and understands what they're doing. Doesn't leave anything to flute. Today's guest is all about vert training. He is a jump technique specialist. He's the owner and creator of an athlete training program in Windsor, Ontario that is doing incredible things. And I really enjoyed this conversation. It was a true delight to speak with a coach who is so invested in their athletes and their well-being. He cares for them so deeply. He's an amazing coach and shares a lot of great coaching nuggets. And he's also deeply invested in the relationships that he has with the parents of the athletes he's coaching, which I think is such an underrated piece to the youth leadership equation. Tyler is an exemplary mentor. He's lived it. He shared a lot of his incredible experiences as a professional dunker, jumper, and he's really doing great things with athletes. So enjoy this conversation with Tyler Ray. If you'd be so kind as to leave a review on iTunes, it would be amazing. We're growing organically, and I'm really excited for these early stages as we get the off-ball athlete movement off the ground. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Welcome to the Off Ball Podcast. Today we have Tyler Ray, owner and creator of Project Pure Athlete. He's a jump technique specialist and a strength coach. Tyler, my man, what's going on? Oh, Martin, thanks for having me, buddy. We've been a long time coming and uh, I'm absolutely stoked to chop it up with you today and spread the word of, of jump technique and, and get right into it. I love it. Well, the off-ball mission really isn't specifically volleyball for me. I want to talk all sports, but jumping is 100% an athletic trait. 
that is special to my heart because volleyball is all about hops. So I've heard you've done it a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's funny because I only ever focused on jump training when I was probably in like grade 10 to grade 11 and a half because I wanted to dunk so badly. That was my main motivator to jumping high. And then after that, it, it just kind of came naturally, but I never really dove into it regretfully. I wish I actually focused on jump training later on in my career because I know that there were still some inches to be gained. And I'm sure we can we can chat about how athletes of any age have definite gains that are probably waiting for them somewhere. 100%. Yeah, no, I mean, dunking, you're speaking to my heart. I think that's realistically how I got um, involved in the world of, of jump technique and jumping in general. I mean, I was obsessed. I think obsessed is not even doing a Duke credit. Um, <laughs> I've been absolutely infatuated with the world of jumping since I can remember. I mean, my dad even told me, he's like, you know what your first word was? Now, it wasn't jump, but it was ball because I was uh, you know, a basketball enthusiast at a young age. So yeah, it's been a part of my life for a long time. And you know, I, I tell people I've made it my job to make a career out of jumping. And, you know, I've hit hurdles and obstacles on the way. And, and a lot of time it's in the form of, of other people that, you know, don't necessarily think that that makes any sense. So it's, it's been nice to see it finally pay off. And like, likewise, I'm able to chop it up with you on the off ball podcast. So, you know what, we're doing good things. Well, a good friend of mine who is actually a guest on the Offball podcast, his name is Austin Einhorn. Uh, he's a movement wizard out of Santa Cruz, and he introduced me to this concept of philosophology, which is essentially someone who studies it but didn't actually do it. So there is definitely a lot of people out there who are going through the learning of the thing they didn't actually do the thing, nor did they invest a career going through their own journey and their own process within it. And yeah. I think jumping is one of those things that it can be studied. You can look at the strength plate. You can go through the power plate. You can go through all these things and think Olympic lifting and all this kind of stuff is, is what it's all about. But at the end of the day, you have to jump you have to go through the process of figuring your stuff out to really share it. And it sounds like you've had a pretty long journey with jumping. Like, talk to me about the origins of, you know, obviously we got the, the word ball for your first word. <laughs> what, what, what was your jumping, I guess, sporting career like as a kid moving through? Yeah, I mean, like you said, metrics are one thing, but experiencing jumping is paramount to being, being able to communicate that message. Um, a little brief synopsis of my athletic career is, you know, I – I had a fascination with skills and it, it's hard to describe this to someone, you know, they look at me and they say, oh, this is a, you know, a competitive guy that's been involved in a lot of different things. But I enjoy, I have a competitive um, attitude to a point. I enjoy competition, but I'm not super competitive. I enjoy learning new skills and skills outside of the scope of the sport. So it was like, I loved basketball, but I loved dunking more than I like basketball, right? I love volleyball but I like swinging more than I like the sport of volleyball. Right. And I was a track and field athlete with the University of Windsor and I was a multi-event athlete. So I, I touched multiple skills. So I, you know, grew up playing, you know, a multitude of sports as I'm sure you did as well. And I was pretty proficient in everything I touched, but I was never exceptional at anything. Gotcha. So that's how I kind of got involved in the world of, of multi-event track and field athletics. So I, I finished up high school. Um, you know, I was the quintessential, uh, you know, quote unquote jock of the school. That being said, I, I did well in school as well. So I was also the jock slash brain. Now, if you're like a, an 80s and 90s baby, you remember those terms, jock and brain. Yeah. 
and that was and that was me. I kind of had best of both worlds. I kept to myself. I, I played sports and I, and I you know studied and, and did my thing. When I finished high school, it took a little bit of time off. I, I'm not sure at that point where my rationale was, but it was perhaps I needed some time. It wasn't the whole like I'm going to travel Europe thing, but it was like you know what I just need a breather. Um, I was reached out to by the University of Windsor, and uh, they trained me down to take a look at their track and field program, and uh, yeah, suggested multi events and specifically the the pentathlon indoors. So that is uh, for those you know of your uh, viewers and listeners is. 60 meter hurdles, long jump, shot put, high jump, and the thousand meter uh, run. So that was intriguing to me. And I decided, you know what, this is a best of both worlds. I get to jump, but I also get to try and learn new skills as well. So competed at the University of Windsor. And if, you know, the University of Windsor is well known for being um, one of the best, if not the best track and field school in all of Canadian international sports. No way. So we won uh, national cha- the CIS National Championship three times while I was there, which was awesome. So I had the um, you know, fortunate, um, you know, circumstance to be part of national championship teams, compete for, you know, team Ontario a few times, um, in some individual events. And yeah, it just, it affirmed my love for skill versus sport, if that makes sense. And it was nearing the end of my track and field career that I was on YouTube one day. And this is, I think where most people are going to go, what the heck is I was on YouTube watching some dunk videos. Okay. I was watching these random dudes, throw down the most incredible dunks. I mean, this is like the NBA dunk contest on like the most amount of steroids you could pile on these guys. You're like, it's just not that they're taking steroids, but it's just this amplified dunk contest dunks that no one's ever seen before. Is is this like and one mixtape style? It's like, it's like pioneered by and one, right? It's like these guys that were dunking in the and one games now are being these quote unquote show dunkers. And I was seeing some of the most incredible athletes that I've ever seen. And you'd mentioned that, you know, jumping is an expression of, of movement. And in my opinion, it's, it's really the, the most concrete expression of athleticism there is. Absolutely. It's such an absolutely compounding uh, premise, the, the multiple stimulus. There's so much involved with jumping that I, I couldn't not keep watching these videos, man. Like I was next video, next video, next video to the point where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go to a gym like right now and just see if I can dunk. Cause I, you know, I tried dunking in high school. I got some weak ones down. I'm, you know, just six foot. Okay. I'm not a, I'm not a super tall dude. Um, and I'm heavier, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a heavier build for six foot. I, you know, I'm currently at about almost 220. At that point I was a 200 pound athlete. So I wasn't your quote unquote jump archetype archetype. I, you know, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty meaty. So I was like, you know what? I think I can, you know, dunk. I went, I threw down a couple dunks and I decided that I would take a, almost a full year and I would train specifically for jumping. I said, you know, I, now I want to do what those guys are doing. Hmm. I mm-hmm. want to find out how I can make my body that is not super naturally gifted at jumping. Now that being said, I think, you know, off a full approach at that point, I could, I could 36 to 38 inches, which is fairly impressive, but it was that like 40 inch plus that was that gold mine. Like everybody wanted the 40 inch jump. So I said, can I do it? And I put my head down and I trial and errored the shit out of as much as I possibly could. And by the end of the year, I'll tell the story. So I went out and the University of Windsor men's basketball team was finishing a practice and they're all dunking basketballs. And they, a lot, I knew a lot of these guys. So I'm like watching and cheering them on and I'm in my running shoes and I call for the ball and they kind of look at me and shake their head like, what, what, <laughs> what are you doing, little white boy? So I said, no, like, give me the ball. 
So I throw a lob, and if you're not familiar with a lob, it's a, it's a toss, and it bounces, and then you catch it off the bounce, and you try to dunk it. Well, I throw this lob obnoxiously high. Like at this point, I have like no real skill in the, in the passing element. I take off for the dunk, miss the ball completely, but I hit my head on the rim super hard. Like I smashed the top of my head off of a 10-foot <laughs> rim. Now, that being said, at the time, I had no real idea whether that was impressive. I kind of landed holding my head. Two guys just cook it out of the gym, screaming at the top of their lungs. And I'm like, what? I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I'm like the Canadian guy. I'm so sorry. I don't know what I did. <laughs> and they're like, dude, you just hit your head in the rim. And I you know, later found out that that was quite impressive. So went back out a couple of times, filmed some videos, posted on YouTube, fa- uh, flash forward a little bit. And I was contacted by the owner of a professional team out of um, Florida and uh, said that they want to fly me down and see me in person. So I went down. And at that point, I was a very good jumper, not a great dunker. And over the course of about eight years, I became part of the professional dunk scene. And I traveled around the world dunking basketballs for a living. And it was awesome. It was so cool. <laughs> I don't even know what that lifestyle is. That's that's off my radar. That's pretty cool, man. Is it's it, let's, very let's, underground at the point at that yeah, time. But let, yeah, let's take a little bit of rabbit hole because I'm just fascinated. Like, what is that? Do you travel in competitions? Is there prize money? Is it a ranking system? Like, what does that look like, man? Yeah, so basically what happens is you become identified as a professional dunker, someone that can be hired and contracted out to do things like contests, um, shows or showcases, and sometimes it's just a matter of doing an appearance. So at that point, you know, YouTube was still flourishing, and, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be kind of part of that initial or I guess second wave of professional dunkers that, you know, got some notoriety and people knew who I was in that, you know, kind of niche channel. And, uh, yeah, it grows and you just get an email saying, you know, would you like to come to Germany and do a, a camp with a couple guys? And it'd be like, yeah, so they'd take care of all your flight travel accommodations. You get paid a little bit of money. Um, if it's a contest, there was always prize money. So you had a chance to win. Um, that being said, like I mentioned before, I was really good at stuff. I was never exceptional. So I would, you know, frequently finish in the top three to five out of these competitions with people, mind you, that are and ex- exceptional athletes and dunkers. So right. just to be in their presence for me was huge. So yeah, that's that's kind of how it worked. Um, you know, a lot of it was driven by the online content. So you would go out and do what are called sessions and you would film your sessions and you'd chop it up and you'd make a really cool video. And uh, yeah, there's probably, I don't even know at this point, there's probably three or 500 chopped up sessions online of, of my dunks. And um, yeah, it was just a really cool opportunity. For me, more than the dunking was meeting people meeting coaches and athletes, picking their minds about the types of training they're doing, and just more about the, the social interaction part of it and the experience. So it was a, it was a really cool um, you know, thing to be involved in at that time because it's become very big since then, and I would not fare well in today's competition um, like I did back then. So. It, it is a bit of a sub-scene. I now, now that I think about it, there has been this onset of – dunking videos that have come through my feed that jordan i don't know his name but he's kill gannon yeah 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 kill gannon he's he's just smashing things he's he's doing events with the nba now and he's a canadian kid is he's is he out of london or windsor i think he's he's out of sudbury so jordan funny story about jordan is is one of jordan's first videos was through my channel so jordan reached out to me as as a at that time a fan no way and because i'm so i'll be 34 this year 
So at that time, you know, I started in about 23, 24 years old into the dunk scene. So it was a bit later, but this kid was 16 years old and I met up with him in Toronto. We kind of met halfway. His parents drove him there to meet me and, and dunk with me. And he, you know, he was at that point, he could get a couple dunks in, but he was nowhere near. And this guy, I mean, you just type in Jordan dunks. You probably will get a few Michael Jordan, but you likely will get more Jordan. He owns the dunks. internet. He owns the internet. Yeah. He, blew, he blew it up. He blew up the internet. And he raised the standard of what show dunking is considered to be now versus when I was in there, you know, like throwing the ball off the glass and going between the legs was like, that's unreal. But now he's doing stuff like jumping over two people, putting the ball between his legs, then around his back and with his chin at the rim. And you're going, okay, I think that I have some work to do and perhaps should reassess, <laughs> you know, cracking into the scene. So, yeah, he's really raised the bar but done wonderful things for the sport. And it really is a sport. It's to me, I compare it to that of, say, like figure skating, mm -hmm. even like, uh, you know, Olympic weightlifting, things where you're put, on the, you're put on the spot and you're said, perform something that's difficult, impress us and do it very well. Amazing. Well, let's – Let's bring it up a little bit. I want to talk about Project Pure Athlete. That's that's obviously been a passion project of yours for a little bit. Talk to me a little bit about what you got, what got you into the fitness game, and what got you more into the jumping specific game, and and a little bit of that before we get into some of the finer things on jumping. Sure, sure. So I, um, you know, out of university, I was an HK human kinetics graduate. I went through teachers college, and I thought at that point I wanted to be a teacher, and. I consider myself to still be a teacher. I was involved in like the school scene for a couple of years, but realized pretty quickly that I was still being pulled in the direction of my part-time personal training business. Um, I found a little bit more love and passion for teaching and educating movement and just how to care for yourself beyond being physically fit, like how, how to take care of your mentality, like mindset training, things like this from a very early age that I, I really got involved in and loved the ability to influence and empower people. So that is what drew me into wanting to be involved in the fitness industry. I wanted to do things differently. And anybody that knows me knows me knows that I don't make a great employee because I've always and will always want to do things my way to a point. Obviously, I'm a team player as well. But it's that I just I feel empty if I'm not following that course of action that I have set. And I'm sure you're very similar in the sense that it's like, you know what you want. You're talking you, to me right now. There you go. Yeah, and and you it. know the – you have a vision that is so clear that sometimes it's so confusing to other people because they just – they're just not you. And you're like, just wait. Just let it unfold and you'll see what I'm talking about three, four, ten months down the road. So I began – initially with um, a label called Project Vertical, which was my local dunk team at that point that kind of spawned into a jump program way back, back in like 2006 or seven. And Project Vertical then spawned, well, I can't really call a personal training business or a strength conditioning business Project Vertical. It pretty much, it niches me pretty you know, narrow. So um, Project Pure Athlete was, was kind of the, the title I gravitated toward at that point because I wanted to create pure athletes beyond the physical, right? Yes, athleticism is extremely important, but there's so much more. And, and this is, to me, the premise of your podcast is understanding that there is so much more potential in a person beyond their ability to move. So that, and we, I think we have a parallel between the two of us, which is why I'm so intrigued to speak with you. So Project Pure Athlete over the years, like I'd mentioned to you before, I've been doing what I've been doing for 10, 13 years now. It's just recently that social media has allowed for this greater reach. And I have a lot of thanks to, to my following on, on Instagram to allow me to teach and educate 
and hopefully inspire kind of a generation of individuals to not overlook the elements of technique, how they relate specifically to jumping, because I think that that's one thing that has kept the ceiling for vertical jump for so long at one position, one concrete position, is that my goal is to show you that you can likely jump higher right away from understanding that there's a potential in you that you have not been able to tap into yet. You Exactly. Someone can say, and, and most of the leaders in strength and, condition, strength and conditioning will say, there are a few things you need to jump higher, right? One is increase power output, reduce body mass, right? Um, and then whether that is speed or strength at that point or resiliency of your joints. And I agree, but I also agree that if you are getting stronger and more powerful in a shitty position, your ceiling for vertical jump remains right here. You will get, you will jump very high and then you will stop until we can create new shapes for you on takeoff that will allow you to express power, speed, stability that you didn't even know you had. So that's kind of where it's taken me today and I've become kind of more well known for being able to take an athlete and have them jump one, three, five inches higher in 10 minutes. And that's, now that's being said, it's not everybody. And I like yep. to put that disclaimer to say, yep. I can't guarantee, but it happens very frequently. So I'm, I'm just very pleased to be able to do what I probably would have done anyway, regardless of making money and, and having a career out of it as well. Man, that's, you're speaking to my soul because, you know, what, what I'm trying to do here with the off ball project with off ball movement is we're so infatuated in the expression of the skill when you have the ball through let's say that movement when you have it and that's all we're training but you only have the ball for one percent of the game so arguably is there not a 99 percent of the time opportunity to then support how your on ball performance can show up and i believe with high performance and the onset of early specialization early specialization we're squeezing kids earlier and earlier and earlier and putting them in places where they're just simply training on ball and, and we're losing the general physical preparation. We're losing the ability to just create shapes and be stable and express and create. Yes. It's only on ball skills. And the more robust you are off the ball, arguably the, the better your on ball performance is going to show up. And so, you know, what you're talking about is, is so great and so important right now because we're building athletes right it's not about a basketball player it's not about a volleyball player like how can we be better athletes how can we express ourselves the best that we possibly can uniquely because everybody is different so I, my question to you is when you say you can look at an athlete and you can help them through the process are you looking at each individual and you're just able to really help individuals well or do you have a lens that you're able to look through where you've chunked them into multiple categories or how how does it work how do you approach helping people with their vertical because i know there's going to be a lot of people very interested to hear this yeah i think it's 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 multiple parts right i think you, you hit the nail on the head when you said you have to look at an individual because no two people will express that movement the same. That being said, there are fundamental principles that apply to jumping no matter what type of jumping you're doing. So what I've done is created kind of some uh, principles of jump technique that allow me to help explain to an individual what it is that I'm looking at. Because I will look at a jump and process that jump very fast in a multitude of ways that it's very, sometimes can be difficult to communicate. I see jumping more as a rhythm. I see jumping more as a, an expression. Uh, it's an art form. 
And I don't, I, I try to say that I don't see jumping. I feel it. That's when I so watch, good. That's so <laughs> I, good. I, when I watch someone jump, I can feel, I can hear the rhythm of their feet. I can see the position of their torso and their hips, where their eyes are looking, and even what they're thinking to a degree when they approach that jump. And that will allow me to help that athlete entirely beyond saying, run faster, run slower, plant quicker. I employ what's called the think to be mentality, which is no matter what it is we're trying to achieve within the walls of that gym that day is whether it is strength related, power related, jumping related, um, you know, explosive related is you need to think to be. So if we want to be explosive, we need to think explosive or think bouncy to be bouncy. And it's putting your psychological state in line with that physiological stimulus to make sure that you are getting as much out, right? If you approach a heavy barbell with the mentality that that barbell is very heavy, that barbell will feel much heavier. If you approach that barbell with, I am stronger than the barbell, and all I have to do is stand by it and stand up with it, right? I think that it's trying to uncomplicate things that we've overcomplicated for so many years. And I approach strength and conditioning very differently than the mass majority, I think, of our industry leaders. That being said, I'm sure that there are certain people that think this way, is I practice the basics, try to drill the basics very, very well, and then kind of shift those subtle nuances toward that specific athlete. So if we have a jumping athlete, it's, okay, let's do the basics very well. Let's find out the needs of your sport and let's drill the needs of your sport alongside your strength conditioning. If it's a jumper, then you know what? I'm going to train that athlete to jump in all different physiological states. I'm going to make sure that they know how to jump fresh. I'm going to make sure they know how to jump hyper-fatigued. I'm going to make sure they know how to jump when their uh, midline is completely wrecked from doing a whole, you know what I mean? So there are so many circumstances in a sport environment that I think we overlook when it relates to expressing skill and think that, well, all I need to do is make this athlete more powerful and they'll jump higher. And like I said, <laughs> yes, it will, but to a point until it doesn't anymore. Yeah. And, and you know what? There's a thought that I constantly have because everyone's trying to squeeze more out of jumping. So we think to be a better jumper, we have to jump higher. We need to be more powerful. Yes, absolutely. But there's on the flip side, and this is a big conversation that I want to have with you because it's so important. I think is being overlooked is okay. Jumping volume. Yeah, sure. You need to jump more. That being said, the higher you jump and the more you jump, the better you need to be to absorb the impact of the landing. And I think that there's a lot of youth and a lot of pro players like right now on our indoor national team, our <clears> senior <throat> men's, we got some young guys that sky, and, and my thought process is, well, who's teaching these kids to prioritize landing, to land better so they can jump more longer? How do mm -hmm. you approach the landing side of jumping? Yeah. So it's funny. My, the very first, so what I've done with my principles of jump technique is I've kind of, I've kind of Tarantinoed them, if that makes sense to you. I've presented the end and I've kind of worked my way back. So the so very first principle of jump technique is landing mechanics. Every single jump, we have a landing that's required. And I think what happens is we overlook the necessity, like you're saying, and how that can impact an athlete over time. But what we do is perfect landing practice no matter what drill we do so that we prioritize or create like an engram that is responsible for that athlete in a game. So they are more likely to default to a point of mechanical efficiency and mechanical loading by making sure that we prioritize that in their training. So if it's only about getting them off the ground and not about the landing, then we just eliminate a whole, an entire archetype, entire shape that to create 
time and time again. So yes, landing mechanics is extremely important. We work, um, I work a lot of my mechanics and technical training into warm up so that it's prepping them not only physically, but it's prepping them mentally for perhaps any type of plyometrics that we have involved in a session that day, if we have those prioritized that day. And then what I'll do is I'll work those in, like I said, to different physiological states to ensure that they can, they understand how to load and absorb impact when perhaps their breathing is, is um, impacted as well. Because breathing and bracing is so paramount to landing. Um, and I think a lot of people just don't have the education behind what that really means. Right, understanding that if you increase intra-abdominal pressure during eccentric loading of a landing phase, that you actually prioritize spine health and hip health, and but you also take a lot of loading off of associated joints like ankles, knees, and hips. So we have all these systemic issues that really spawn from just a an ignorance around um, a whole facet of jumping that I think people just don't realize is that paramount. Mm. So landing mechanics, super important. Uh, I think I posted a drill that you commented on the other day that you were excited to, to get into a little bit. And that yeah. was just some, some armless um, mini broad jumps with some banded reinforcements, just some kinesthetic feedback for the athlete. And that is just reinforcing some, some hip torque and, and positional cues for landing um, over and over again. But it's funny with volleyball, and I'm sure you can speak to this, is it's unlikely that you will have perfect landing circumstance very often in a game, right? Because of, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're swing blocking, if you're, if you're coming off a play and having to dive into, depending on what play it is, you're probably going to land more so toward one leg or the other. But that doesn't mean that the mechanics change. If you're going to load one leg, you load one leg the very same way you load two legs, right? We, we just, we think that, well, I'm not going to drill this landing mechanics because the likelihood is I'm not going to land on two feet all the time. Well, you probably should still do that. So you understand how to land on one leg properly. Totally. Totally. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very crucial element to jump training. It's something that becomes foundational to my athletes when they come in. And my biggest challenge, I think is educating an athlete on the importance of it and how at some points this can seem dry and it's not super exciting because all these athletes have such access to crazy sensationalized training through Instagram where yep. people are like, you, yeah, you need to throw crazy shit around and be attached to 400 bands and chains to be effective. And it's my job to say, while those might have a place, they don't, they don't create the foundation for a program. They really don't. <laughs> it's the, the classic request from an athlete or a parent is, I want to move and be like LeBron James or oh, yeah. Sidney Crosby. Oh, yeah. and, and the thought process, and I'm sure you go through this as well, as well, they have both earned the right to be where they are right now and to do the exercises that they are doing right now. Their mm-hmm. training age is light years beyond most people because they focus so much and that's arguably why they are so good at what they do. So to just hop on board whatever it is that they are doing in this moment is such a juvenile thought process but unfortunately, we're taking the bait all the time, and we want that stimulus. We want that quick reward. And I love hearing you say that jumping is about this greater understanding of how to move because that's truly what it is, right? Absolutely. And, yeah, some of the best leapers in the world are ones that just create the best shapes. And, and there's so many parallels between whether you are a world-class long jumper, whether you are a world-class volleyball player, whether you're a world-class basketball player, you watch these individuals jump and they will elicit 
all of these principles of, of jump technique that I've put together in some way or some way, shape or form. And there's, and that's what I want to show is I want to line those up beside each other and say, look, look at these positions and shapes created amongst the, the best of the best, the athletes that you look at and say, I wonder why they jump high. Now they're, they likely have, um, some of these people have progressed naturally into these shapes and have been fortunate enough to jump as a result of this feels good. So I'm going to keep going, but there are athletes that are quite proficient in jumping that still don't have optimal positioning. So it's, it's sometimes can be difficult with mature athletes to strip away some of the bad habits form without taking away from their performance. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's gotta be a progressive, um, introduction of, of technique to older, more mature athletes. But I do a lot of my work with developmental athletes and that's where we can do the biggest change. And that's my, and that's the movement. That's, that's what I'm trying is can we influence people at an early age? And more importantly, can we influence the sport coaches at an early age to not only teach, but reinforce these things I'm teaching so that when I get them, they don't already have these bad habits. Yep. Well, you're officially going to be invited to one of our mastery camps to be a, a jump coach. And we're going to really take a stab at educating the coaches and the people who are with athletes on a day-to-day -day basis right. to go over what does being a proficient and a safe and an excellent jumper mean and how to look for that and how to not necessarily train that because that you're responsible for taking that person on the journey. But I feel that the, the coach who is eyes on the prize every single day, there's so much there that we're missing. We're not giving them the keys to help those athletes. You know, strength and conditioning is, is incredibly important. But if that coach has just a little bit more understanding of these things, then a, they can probably help with injury prevention a little bit more and participate in the education a little bit more to then create a longer-term athlete. And I, I just want to talk a little bit more about longevity because I love hearing you saying you're starting at the bottom of the pyramid and really focusing on that. A lot of athletes, they want to play in the show. They want to play at that top level. But you know, just getting there is one thing. Then you need a career there. Yes. Right? If, if you spend everything just getting there and you got terrible movement mechanics and you're broken when you get to the league, we got problems. And I hear more and more complaints of high-level coaches and people in the industry where athletes are arriving to the top level broken. Yep, I completely agree. And so I wanted to ask you, like, what are you seeing systemically with the younger athletes that you're working with? We got a lot of issues in movement. They're sitting all the time ankles, hips, hamstrings, just body control in general. What are you seeing and what are you working with first and foremost? Yeah, it's, uh, it's challenging with um, youth sometimes because, you know, as a professional, we view, you know, fundamental patterns of movements with so much passion and romance that, that it's easy for us to say, okay, we're just going to spend time working on a hip hinge or we're going to spend time and being a skill guy myself, it's very easy for me to sit there and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to spend 10 minutes working on my squat efficiency and bracing mechanics. But for an athlete, it's like, okay, dude, like when are we going to get to throw some stuff around and jump? So it's, how do you work that into an environment, um, where it's palatable, right? For an athlete. So it becomes about First and foremost, creating the culture within the environment that people, they have that undying respect and they're like, every time you speak, they're just eyes wide open and they feed off my passion first and foremost. So, you know, I have athletes and parents that go, oh my God, 
I could have cared less about jumping when I came in here. And when I left, all I wanted to do was ask you more questions. And like, to me, that's the best thing that possibly, you know, could result from that circumstance in terms of what I'm seeing when a new athlete comes on board, that is, um, repeatable over time that I see with every athlete, I think is, is maintenance of workload for them. Because a lot of these young athletes that I see, and I see a lot of these high performance athletes, um, you know, anywhere from 13 to say 17 years old is they have so much on the go these days versus when I was a kid. And I'm sure when you, when you were um, a youth athlete as well as they have multiple high performance teams that they're on with multiple practices a week with training now involved in there with school, with school sports and the list keeps going on and on. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit, how do I manage this athlete physically? But more importantly, how do I manage this athlete mentally so they don't just hate their life and want to stay in and quit everything? Because as soon as they lose that love for the process, you're going to get athletes, like you said, that reach that upper echelon that are completely ready to be done with everything involved with that sport. So it's we talk first on prioritizing recovery stress management so that that athlete can then understand that volume and frequency is not the be all end all of strength conditioning. That to me is, is a hard point to drive across. It's a hard point to drive across with other professionals as well, because some that are listening right now are going to be like throwing shit at the computer or at their headphones saying, I disagree completely. I say there's a, there's a place, especially for young athletes, it's managing volume. Just like when you get older, volume and frequency becomes the most important element for a guy like myself at 33, 34 years old, yeah. having a, a, you know, a plethora of athletic experience behind me. I can't train the same way I used to. And how do I manage that? So teaching them about how important sleep, nutrition, body maintenance becomes, hydration, but more importantly, how how important it is for their mind to stay clear and them not to be kind of oversaturated with too much mental stimulus. So that is a, a discussion that <clears throat> becomes very personal and it's very difficult to articulate over a podcast mm -hmm. because it comes down to that athlete. Yeah. It comes down to being able to connect on a deeper level. And that I think is, is the one thing that I get. And I love the feedback from parents is they love coming here more than the training, they, they love the way they feel and it's improving their confidence. And the confidence card, especially, and I will, and I will put a note on this, especially for young female athletes, confidence, guys, for the most part, don't usually have an issue with being hyper-confident if, if you are a competitive athlete. Usually, maybe seven out of 10 athletes have a decent amount of male confidence and bravado. They're pretty good. It's about giving them an outlet to just let it go. With some of my female and some of my male athletes, it's how do I make you so immensely confident in your abilities that you just forget about everything that could happen and you just create these new circumstances for yourself? So um, with the young athletes, it's how do I connect with you first? Because half the time you become it's, – it's more of a it's more therapy than it is um, physical training because they need to feel comfortable with you, especially being a male covered in tattoos, right? Girl comes in and then they get talking to you and realize that you're just, you mean very well and you love what you do and you want nothing but success for them. So teaching those elements to an athlete on a very personal individual level is the most important element and foundational element of the training that I do. Then comes foundational movement, training stability over power out of the gate to make sure they can sustain result over time. So yeah, it's, it's create the culture, create intention and make sure those athletes stay laser focused when it comes to that. <laughs>
So I, I have a personal philosophy that I built out over time that I'm, I'm going to be bringing into my off-ball academy this summer, and it's intention, integrity, and intensity. And in current society, we're just deferring to intensity as the be-all and end-all. If you go right to intensity and think intensity is your savior, without any type of integrity, both emotionally and physically, and without intention emotionally and physically, you're just going to be spinning your tires. Yep. And so it's addressing, and I love what you're doing, because when you say talking about culture, that's intention for me. You're, exactly. you're setting the tone. We're here for a reason. Then all of a sudden you build some structure, a framework around that. All of a sudden they start to respect the process. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to work these pillars of this. It's not just I'm going to go show up with Tyler and I'm going to go jump a thousand times. And that's that's what you do. You just monitor them jumping a thousand times. No, absolutely not. It's so much more than Mm -hmm. that. I love it, dude. It's a harsh reality for an athlete. Like they come in and especially the parents. I had a parent (laughs) of a new athlete that after about the third session – said, um, I signed my athlete up for jump training. What are you doing? (laughs) And I respectfully, I respectfully said, I know, I said, I know exactly what I'm doing without so much as diving into too much detail about that conversation because parents nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10 mean and want the best for their athlete and their child. Totally. I want to say 10 times out of 10. I want to, but you know, I, I've been involved in the game for a long time and know that sometimes there's, there's other pressures that an athlete feels. Mm-hmm. So it's, they have a harsh reality when they realize that it's not all jumping and that a lot of it is just creating new behaviors and, sh- and creating new shapes in these very controlled environments and then introducing intensity over time. So, uh, I was going to make a point there. I kind of forgot to touch on it is, is the concept of, of perspective mm. for an athlete, right? Is, you, you said it, if you just, you just sit there and spin your wheels, intensity, intensity, intensity. I always, I always kind of relate it to, there are two ways to run, run a race, right? One is head down as fast as you can, and maybe you'll reach the finish line. Hopefully it's a straight line, right? Or every once in a while, you peek your head up to find out and track where that finish line is. So it's the concept of we're going to go on this training journey. We're going to go on this developmental journey. And every once in a while, it's very important that we stop, look, gain perspective, because oftentimes it's our ability to slow down that increases that speed over time. And I have it tattooed on my leg in Spanish, different story, but sometimes we must slow down in order to speed up. And it is such a shaping philosophy, just like you have your philosophy. This is a shaping philosophy for my entire life. And it took me... Uh, you know, a cu- probably a couple extra years uh, to get that, but I I really try to hammer that away with everybody that I I touch and work with. It's so good to hear you say that because you've gone through it. You're sharing your journey, and you know, one of my questions for you is like, what problem are you trying to solve through your actions? Because you've lived it, right? We're we're all standing here today in one way, shape, or form because of what we've been through. And we're all trying to provide a service to the world because what we went through has value. And we believe that there's merit there. So let's let's jump to it, man. Like through your journey, what what are you looking to bring forward through let's call it jump training. But you know as well as I do that we're not talking about jump training right now. Yeah. I think the message beyond jump training, jump technique is, is just that concept of perspective and, and understanding that every single day is a very, very small piece to a greater 
puzzle. And I think if we only ever have that end result in mind, right? We only ever focus on where we need to be. And as cliche as it sounds, it's like, you know, it's, it's the journey, it's the process that shapes an athlete, right? Um, it, it really, it has to be that, you know what I mean? If it's, if it's really just about going in the gym and, and putting in work and leaving, and that's what shapes the athlete, then I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm in the wrong <laughs> scope of practice, but like you, you'd mentioned is everything we've accomplished up to this point shapes our opinions and beliefs. And it's funny how individuals that share, um, similar opinions likely have had some similar circumstance in their life that led them to this point is, you know what? I, I was never good at managing stress and anxiety during competition. I, I wouldn't have considered myself to be a gamer, I love skill, like I'd mentioned, but when it came to when things got very intense and a lot of pressure, <clears throat> I had difficulty expressing movement because of the suppression to, to my ability to, whether it was flex or extend a muscle, or maybe it was just the nervous system effects. And I think it's funny, it's, it's been quite eye-opening for me to, over this 10 to 13 years, see so many different types of athletes and find out unique ways to be able to have them first thrive off of the physical training, but more importantly, thrive off of the culture and environment that I create within, within the gym environment. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think the end result is just have more people fall in love with the process mm -hmm. versus the end result because it's, we're in such a, um, instant gratification environment these days with our access to everything at our fingertips all the time that we forget that at one point people did not have that yet they still accomplished things so maybe if <laughs> wait, we wait, can merge wait, what people, right? people did things before instagram what right how do i know what exercises to do before i can go on the internet and look how to do them because it's like you know a lot of these a lot of young new coaches are becoming quote unquote specialists and, and all of these terms that are, I see on people's pages yet they have, they've been coaching or training for a year. And it's like, I'm sorry, but I, I feel like I have over the course of my career earned the right in my one facet of expression of movement, the right to call myself a quote unquote specialist. That being said, I'm constantly a student, mm -hmm. you know, I don't prescribe to anybody's philosophy. I think multiple philosophies help shape mine, don't create mine. And I think that it's just important to just keep mind open and keep moving forward and, and just being true to what it is that got you here in the first place. Totally. And I'm living in this space right now where I'm going through such a deep personal evolution and seeking growth and reading as much as I possibly can and sharing as much as I can through this new journey of mentorship through the vessel of sport in my experience. But, you know, the second you create a finite product that no longer evolves, but you continue to evolve or you either continue to evolve and that becomes, becomes one nexus point, or if that's your only point of reference, then you can't evolve with it and, and you're stagnant. So it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing to hear you to, you're continually learning and, and finding new ways to express yourself or taking information. And obviously you've got a great pool of athletes that you're, you're working with. But once again, we're, we're not talking about vert training here. I mean, this is life, right? This is massive. It's a little bit of life. I say, you know, vertical jump training is a byproduct of, of, of life combined with strength and conditioning with a slight bias toward jumping. And I think <laughs> you just make a better athlete. You create a better jumper. So it's, I think that we can't, you can't pigeonhole jump training as being, you know, A or B, right? It is really just a, 
for that individual, what components suit that person the best? How do I, is it maybe that they don't hold themselves the right way in terms of their confidence levels and that in, in turn bleeds into their ability to brace and stabilize during takeoff? I know it's like, it's sometimes crazy to think about those things, but I've seen success doing this. And whether it's anecdotal or not, I stand by it. And I think that no matter who I have in front of me, I can influence them in, in a little bit of a way to help increase their vertical jump. But more importantly, I think just behaviors um, when it comes to you know training mentality and, and hopefully life. Uh, hopefully. Because I'm just starting to... <laughs> have that self-realization myself and it's funny it doesn't happen until you grow up and you finally go oh that's what my parents were talking about <laughs> right also my dad was saying that I didn't care about when I was 17 um, but it's it's how do you get people to appreciate it mm-hmm. okay so now let's target jump training let's get back sure. on the, the jump training vibe it is in my opinion, one of the most beautiful forms of athleticism. It is, it is so incredible to watch somebody who can just sky. Like that is poetry in motion. People just stop and watch someone who can jump out of the gym, right? It's beautiful. Yep. It is athleticism at its peak. But there's myths around that. And what is a myth that you're, you're constantly trying to address or you're hearing a lot with kids coming in and thinking, I want to do that because I want to jump higher? You know, what's mm-hmm. something that is out there right now that might be a bit of a misunderstanding or a misnomer in the, the world of jumping? Yeah, I, I, I want to take this opportunity, I think, to touch on what I feel like is causing a lot of buzz, which is just the prevalence of, of need for box jumps. I know it's like super specific. Um, while I believe that box jumping has a place within vertical jump training, cause it absolutely does. I just think that, you know, specifically social media to some degrees is doing a disservice to the, to true necessity when it comes to jump training, you know, well, I should jump on a high box over and over again, because that's going to ingrain the ability for me to jump higher. And it absolutely does, but it, it shortchanges so many elements of a jump that need to be focused on. Most importantly is, <clears throat> can, I, can I express extension to its complete degree during takeoff? So can I open my hips fully, but can I open my hips in a way that allows me to first and foremost carry speed from my, from my approach? So it's our ability to right, convert horizontal speed into vertical lift, but it's what happens in that um, that amortization of speed into power that really makes the difference. So that is going to be positional, um, and that is also going to be rhythmic. So there's a, I guess in short to answer your question, the thing that I see most that I think doesn't need as much attention and possibly you know needs to go by the wayside are these absorbently high box jumps. Now they're really fun to watch when you have someone that is a good jumper that can jump onto a, a vending machine. That's pretty cool. Okay, but your next door neighbor and you should not go searching for the next vending machine or mailbox and be trying to jump on it. Find something of a target to reach, you know, versus jumping onto something. Yeah. Because I believe that allows you to fully express a jump to its completion versus jumping to a landing. You know, with a box jump, it becomes about jumping to, to the landing versus jumping and landing as a result of gravity. Mm-hmm. If that makes more sense. So my athletes will spend more time jumping onto moderate height and low boxes just to give just to give an, a need to leave the floor versus that, you know, a need to jump super high. Cause you can do that without a box. Yeah. Well, I, and so. what I see is I, I see people knee tucking 
so high and just cranking their lower back to be able to access a higher landing point. So right. maybe the last six inches has nothing to do with vert, and it's more about you, you got hip mobility or you're forcing hip mobility to access a higher landing. So just because yeah. you can jump on a high box, yeah, I agree, doesn't mean it shows up on on the field of play. Um, yeah, and I think it's more than that six inches. You know, when you get into these 60, 70-inch box jumps, you know, I, I've yet to see an individual <clears throat> beyond maybe two or three with a legitimate 50-inch plus full approach vertical. So that is, you know what I mean? That's, that's well over oh, yeah. six inches. That is my ability to, can I bottom out my squat and absorb the impact of my landing? So, you know, maybe ridding the, the prevalence of the, the need for high, you know, high box jumping and focusing more on box jumping in combination. You know, I, I like using some, um, you know, the little bit of PAP training. I, I do like the correlation over to strength and power orientation on, on a lift directly into a jump. I think the the potentiation effects of that are, are, are quite useful. I do believe that um, erring on the side of low volume for plyometrics as a whole across all boards is extremely important. Mm, you nice. know what I mean? Like, nice. I think their goal is, can we, can we express jumping in the field, in the game versus Am I jumping a million times in training? Because they're going to practice and jump a lot too. Agreed. So when they come into the gym, I don't want to sit there and jump with them 100 times in a session and send them off to a practice where they're going to jump 75 more times to a game where they're going to jump 100 more times. The volume is just going to add up so fast. So it's can we produce quality movement and um, in, a, in a controlled way and just over repetition with different physiological stimuli? Yeah, love it. Now, you know, in – to what capacity does the lifting of weights live within your philosophy or paradigm? Because many people, and I was one of those athletes, man, <clears throat> I thought the heavier that I could only lift, the heavier I could back squat, the heavier I could front squat, heavier I could pull 500 pounds off the floor, you know, I got more infatuated with the weight than I did with the actual result. And then also how I felt, man, Yeah, just being real with, you know what, lifting this heavy doesn't actually make me feel good. Um, so in, right. in what way, and I'm, I'm not turning it into a villain because it has its place. I was certainly, no, for sure. you know, used it and, and I, I gained from it, but also it, it hurt me. So I didn't manage it well enough. To what extent does lifting weights or the practice of heavy lifting live within your program? Yeah, so it's it's definitely a staple. I think that it's important that no matter what type of athlete you are, you have a foundational, um, you know, strength and conditioning program and strength as it relates to, you know, we need to make sure that you're going through the pattern of squatting to some degree. Can we flex and extend at the hip? Can we push and pull our body weight? Uh, things like of this nature. That being said. It comes down to the athlete. Not every athlete responds to stimulus the same way, right? So we understand that uh, certain athletes are, you know, neurologically adapt to. They're more of an elastic-based athlete than you have athletes that thrive off of. Well, maybe they do need to be as strong as they possibly can to optimize their jumping ability. So I, I work to try to understand how that athlete responds to training. And that becomes a little bit of having been in the industry for some time and, and really keeping communication open with the athlete. So we stay very transparent. And I think my athletes sometimes get frustrated because I ask them all the time, how you feeling? How'd that feel? How'd that go? How'd that game? How'd you feel? And it's always, how do you feel? How do you feel? 
to the point where they just become extremely comfortable of divulging exactly how they feel. Well, I felt pretty good. I was flat though. Like I, I felt like I, I just wasn't getting off the ground. So it's like, okay, what did we do this week? What did you have this week? And then basing the training off of that. So it's person to person. Everybody should have some foundational elements of strength training for more importantly, for tendon, tendon resiliency, for that ability to stabilize and manage healthy joints. Um, but not every athlete thrives off of going heavy and, you know, ollie lifting as much as they possibly can. It's just not how we work neurologically. It's not how we work on a physiological level. Mm -hmm. And that takes some time to understand. It's, it's can sit here and, and let everybody know, but that's going to be a podcast on its own. So <laughs> it has a place. Yes. I prescribe a little more to a, my, my training is much more dense with unilateral loading than it is with nice. bilateral loading. Nice, yeah. Okay, so I prescribe a little bit to um, Mike Boyle and the Boyle um, standard of training. I like the correlation to spinal health. I like loading athletes' posterior chain more through elements of heavy sled work where we don't have a lot of um, eccentric loading. Um, that being said, we do a lot of single leg, uh, deadlifting, um, rear foot elevated, uh, split squat. I don't post a lot of weight, weightlifting on Instagram. So people are like, how can you never lift weights? And it's like, well, first of all, I, I don't post everything on here as to not give away everything I do. I there do have programs available for that, right? Yeah, there's gotta be some mystique there for sure. Exactly. Exactly. So there, you know, there are some fundamental elements that stay concise no matter who I have in the gym. And when you get a brand new athlete in, it's important that, you know, I train a lot of my athletes together no matter where they lie in terms of their ability, ability levels because as a coach, I feel that I can, I do them a lot of service by allowing them to see what a progression of their movement looks like down the road. It gives them a little bit of context. And when an athlete has context, you, you, you lessen that, that fear of the unknown, right? When you're like, oh, that's what I'm working toward. I get it. I'm seeing that. <clears throat> you know, I'm doing a bodyweight squat to a box because I'm learning this pattern. But now I see that I have an athlete over here doing a single arm overhead body or a squat with a kettlebell. And it's like, oh, that's cool. So they can see that progression and they get a little bit of context. So weight, weight training, weight lifting definitely has its place. Um, not the be all end all for every athlete, but I think to a degree, everybody needs to maintain some elements for tendon health and integrity. Totally. And, and that integrity for me that <clears throat> is, is super important, but now is not the be all and end all. And I, I focus more on the tensegrity piece of like how much stimulus can I send from my foot all the way through my body without losing it? And so it is, is the tensegrity or of the keeping of energy inside your body, that elastic tension, you know, does that play a part in, in your progression? Plays a massive role. And it's, it's funny, I use this analogy with, uh, with my athletes when I first get them. It's, it's part of my, the jump guide, which is the jump technique program that, that I have is the garden hose analogy is that we all, we can all relate to a garden hose. We know what it does. You connect it to a water source. The other end facilitates water that feeds your garden or a bucket. The point is get water from point A to point B, losing the least amount of power. The more holes that are in a garden hose, the less water pressure you have. It's very simplistic, but it's the body. So <clears throat> can, I, can I forcibly apply pressure to the earth and lose as little as possible before leaving the ground? So that comes down to sequentially through our kinetic chain, Do we are we bleeding power? And I use the term bleeding power. Are my 
Are my ankles weak? Are my knees weak? Do I have, um, is, my, is my synaptic responsiveness between muscles not where it needs to be? So the signal's moving slowly. So yeah, absolutely. I think it's important that we understand that signals pass. And if they're not passed efficiently, we first and foremost need to spend more time on the ground to elicit a response. And at that, by spending more time on the ground, we're bleeding more energy. So it's, it's potential energy and expression of it. Yeah, so good, man. I it's funny. I use the tin can version or tin man uh, analogy of send send oil through the tin tin man, and mm-hmm. the more sprayage you get out of each joint, we're losing yeah. that. So it, we're we're on Perfect. the same page. I, I dig it so much, man. Perfect. And then understanding the hype of the jump industry, you know, what is it that a lot mm-hmm. of athletes are are missing out on that that you're seeing of. There's so many things within hype, and you spoke about box jumping, and all of a sudden, what measures matters? Well, we we measure ourselves jumping on a box, therefore we think the box jump is the be all and end all. Uh, so the hype of the box jump now becomes a lot more than it, it potentially should be. Throughout all of the hype, what are what's something that you're seeing a lot of people just straight up missing within the the jumping uh, game? Uh, in terms of, of missing, I would say that it's, it's running in parallel to jump training, the importance of drilling proper patterns and technique. I think that, you know, jump programs all the way up into this point, And that's, you know, I have my opinions on jump programs. I do have a jump program, but this is also my life. So when I put something out there, I'm willing to stand behind that to say, this is the philosophy I use all the time. You know, you have athletes that are releasing jump programs because they jump really high and they're just basically writing down what they do in the gym. And you know what? The internet has allowed us to do some wonderful things and make some extra money. And I and I wish them all the best. However, I advise and I and I more of a, um, you know, a little bit of advice to younger athletes is just be cautious of what you're purchasing from who, because you know it might not necessarily be coming from them. Right. So, so that on jump programs, you know, my opinion, I, I could, again, I'll talk to you about that <laughs> at a different time as to n- throw nobody under the bus. Um, but yes, running in parallel, the technique alongside jumping so that as our body becomes stronger, as it becomes more responsive and smarter, we are, we are progressing the technique alongside of it versus getting strong and then learning new shapes and techniques. Because I think that there is a learning curve from how to express movement with new strength, new power, right, speed and movement, that if we're doing it alongside, then hopefully that reduces the amount of time you need to spend in the grand scheme of things mm-hmm. um, on, on your jumping technique. Yeah, I love it. There, what I get from that is there's an ownership. You're always updating your resume progressing but you have to own it just so you can do it doesn't mean you can own it and you gotta right. be, you gotta be responsible with that and a piece of responsibility for me is injury prevention is understanding mm-hmm. we're talking about basketball we're talking about volleyball we're talking about sports where we're jumping a lot in training in practice and in games you know what would be a go-to injury prevention thought process or or exercise if there is one that you feel fits um to to help athletes manage their physiology and possibly nervous system through jumping? Uh, I would, again, default back to some perspective. So I can give, you know, actual exercises and and, and techniques, you know, but more importantly is as an athlete is how do I recognize that I need some work on injury prevention more so than what it is I'm doing is that concept of every once in a while, 
taking a second and really dialing into how do I actually feel? Has something been over time nagging and it's not, it is not going away and I'm pushing it down because that works to a point. And you know, as an athlete that you can ride an, you can ride an injury or you can ride the precursor to an injury for a long time mm -hmm. until you can no longer ride that again. <laughs> and then you're forced to take care of yourself. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I love the, the concept and, and young athletes will look at me and be like, what? I don't get it, but it's, mm -hmm. you can not pay attention to your body and not give yourself an off season or not give yourself a rest or your body will make sure that you have an off season or 100%. it will make sure that you have a rest. And I can guarantee you that that rest or off season will not be on your own terms <laughs> and will yeah. not come at a convenient time. Yeah. More is not always better. And that's, and like we mentioned before, it's not an easy concept to communicate to a young, um, motivated, energetic athlete that all they want to do is play, play, play. It's not easy to tell them every once in a while you need to slow down a little bit and pay attention to how you feel. So it really just comes down to, you know, you and I doing what we do, which is the ability to be able to touch these athletes through voice, through, you know, physical training and saying, here's why it's important. And I think that's why it's extremely beneficial that I was also an athlete that competed at a high level. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, I, I say I come at this, I come at this to you as a coach, but I come at this to you as someone that has experienced all of the shit I don't want you to experience. <laughs> okay. And you can, you can sit there and be like, please, please, please. And that, that being said, sometimes you need to touch the burner to know that it's hot. So every once in a while you say, okay, you might know better than me. You go ahead. And then you're there to pick up the pieces. But more, I think more often than not, I found success with being able to just connect with an athlete and have a mutual trust and a mutual respect where they really will err on the side. And, I th and I'm going to stand by that one of the more important elements has been forming a relationship with their family and their parents. Mm -hmm. So when I intake a new athlete, I, it's mandatory for that athlete to come in with their parents. And I sit down with all of them to make sure that all of our ducks are in a row that they understand 100% that when I take a new athlete into my program, that athlete becomes family to me. That athlete becomes somebody that I think about their training, I think about their well-being, I care how they do. And when the parent hears that from me, I think it provides a little bit of breathing room for them to go, okay, I'll support you. If you give them homework, I will make sure that they're doing it. But then I quickly add, Yes, but let's allow them to figure this out a little bit on their own because you can't manage it for them, mm. right? They're going to realize that if they haven't been going home and, you know, you know, the homework is, you know, doing some dead bug holds just to increase abdominal pressure and they're realizing that they're having a hard time bracing, squatting over time. And I say, well, have you been doing your homework? And they say, no. And I say, maybe you should start doing your homework. It sometimes it just needs to happen. So having those relationships with athlete and their parents has been quite a, uh, an effective tool uh, for my business. That's such an undervalued, underrated piece to this whole working with youth issue or picture. What you just spoke about, it takes time, it takes energy, but truly involving the parent in the process is so critical, man. And there's a few guys out of the States that I'm regularly speaking with who are leaders within this. John O'Sullivan, uh, the Changing the Game Project, a guy by the name of Reed Maltby. Um, 
very much focused on how do we include the parents as much as possible within this process. And I was just at an Ontario coaching symposium and there needs to be a better way to get them into the, the process because the parents aren't the villains here. They just love their kids so much and so dearly. And sometimes they just don't know what they don't know. So, you know, what, what is your philosophy around including that parent? What is a way that you actively do that? Because I think this is critical for any coach of any sport is including the parent in the journey. Yeah, it'll be a kind of a brief debrief scenario. I think for most every session that we have is a lot of these parents will come drop their kids off and stay. We have an area where they can sit. So I tend to, and I have a very semi-private environment. So I see no more than six athletes at a time in a, kind of an academy style training, um, you know, setup that I've put together. And I think that's for me been my strong suit is at times maybe two or three athletes might be in for that session. So it gives me the ability to do a lot with those athletes. But at the same time, the parents proximity wise are very close to me. So what I will do is as I explain and as I drill the athletes, I educate probably too much. <laughs> I, I, I educate because it's driven into me to provide as much information to those parents as possible. And when they ask questions, I answer them honestly. When they have questions that you know, and thankfully it doesn't happen too, too often. But if I don't understand, you can't be the one to pretend like you do. And I think the people inherently can see through bullshit pretty damn quick. So when you are truthful, honest, and consistent with people, you know, that helps solidify those relationships. But yeah, brief debrief before, here's what's going on. After, this is how they did. Here's what I think is important to focus on over the next little while. But more importantly, let's make sure she keeps having fun. Right. Because when they lose when they lose love for the process, like we mentioned before, you, you lose the most important thing, which is their focus and their mind. So we got to keep them engaged. And, you know, I, I get known for being a little bit of the I'm a, I'm a child. I'm a big child, man. Like I I'm a professional, but I'm a giant kid. I mean, if you can see this, I'll put them up. You viewers can't see, but I'm wearing like rubber duck socks right now. Um, and my Turquoise athletes are like, you got orange. a strong sock game. <laughs> and that's important to me that like the athletes see me as. They don't see me as like a their teacher. They got a, they got enough teachers. I'm like an older friend that is also mentoring them that they trust, and that's the most important element is that they know that I have their best interests at heart, and the parents can sense that because they go home and they tell they talk to their parents, and then their parents send me emails saying, "Oh my God, I'm so happy. They're so much more confident." And like that's the best thing as a coach, and you know, the best thing as a coach is to get that feedback to know that what you think and stress about what you put your energy and efforts into are reaping rewards beyond financial beyond you know business it's it's really more about how do i satisfy myself intrinsically so that i have this fire that is never ever extinguished powerful right there man boom powerful <laughs> it's it's so refreshing to hear someone come at it the way you do because it's exactly how I go about it. I want to be the crazy uncle. You yeah. know, it's I want, the crazy uncles. You know, I, I want to be <laughs> deeply entrenched into the culture of the family of, of that child and, and make an mm -hmm. impact in their lives. And, you know, in part I'm doing it because I didn't have it. And, yep. and I wanted to ask you, was there a mentor that you had? Was there someone that took you under their wing at, at some point in time? Or are you a, you know, a result of you trying to figure it out throughout your whole life, man? I'm, I'm more of a result of kind of figuring it out over time. That being said, I work with um, one of my best friends, Mike Patella, who owns the gym that I run everything out of. And we 
he is another person that has just allowed and supported me to be able to be the person I am and not necessarily having to fall within the confines of the way other people do things. Because like I mentioned before, I'm a horrible employee because I, although I put hard work in and I'm a hard worker, it has to be in line with my philosophies and my principles. So I'm very quick to say, I don't believe in that. And I'm not really on board. He's given me the ability to um, express my true professionalism and also myself as a person. And he shares a lot of those common values. So he's been a very good support system along with my wife. But in terms of like how it shaped me as a coach, I am like the, I threw a bunch of stuff at a wall and some of it is stuck. And that's me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the stuff that's stuck. Well, you're that's resilient. It. That's it. We know that you're resilient. That's for sure. There, that's it. That's it. <laughs> well, man, we've we've beat a lot of great subjects up. I just want to say it's it. This has been a true pleasure, and this conversation I know will lead to some type of collab down the road. True respect for how you approach everything that you do, and um, you know this was about vert, but it was also not about vert. Uh, yep. So super psyched on that, and I just also want to acknowledge like how you communicate and, and what you're doing truly is a, a big part of the solution of what we're seeing as a problem within the sports culture right now. There's a lot of the, the sportspreneurs who are preying on free time and creating leagues or high performance camps and things that are just filling up the schedule. You know, we're, we're picking up the pieces of just really overextended kits that yeah. that are just you know emotionally and physically less resilient because they're just so spread out and so for you to to see a, a child come through your doors and and recognize that they're just fried and yep. and, it, and it to to be a sounding board for them and that practice or or plan that day shifts to you just supporting them is crucial man that's yep. so crucial athletes have enough stress without adding to it. And I think that, like you mentioned, if we can create an environment where they feel comfortable to be physical, but also sometimes not. And sometimes that is just as much as coming in, sitting down and talking and getting some stuff off their chest and then working out a little bit. I think that that's what we can do. I think that that's how we serve the greater good of athletic performance. Um, Versus, like you saying, just filling up their schedule with more and more things that jack those cortisol levels through the roof, and yeah, we just pick up the pieces. So I'm I'm so pleased that you reached out and you want to be on the podcast. It's like you mentioned, it's been a pleasure. I I look forward to many more conversations um, in the future because I do believe that we have very parallel philosophies, but I also believe that there are some unique things that we can offer to each other. So thank you very, very much for having me on today. Yeah, dude, my, my pleasure. And how can people find you on, on socials? Yeah. So I am on Instagram at project pure athlete. I'm also on Facebook. Uh, I believe it's just facebook.com slash project pure athlete. And then you can check me out at projectpureathlete.com. So I do have a few programs. If people are looking to mix up training, um, you know, there's a jump program there, Project Vertical, and then the Jump Guide, which is some jump technique. It's very educational based. There are drills and techniques, but it's more about the more you know about the way you jump, you move, the more power you have over your training. So that's what I try to do with that. But people can reach out and send me emails. And more, more than anything, I just relish the opportunity to, to spread the message, educate, and uh, hope, you know, hope to hear from some of you. Sweet. Well, 
please check his Instagram out because there's some great content, and I I certainly look forward to what you're sharing because you awesome. you get some some good visuals going on on how to jump properly, and then and then some good descriptions. So let's leave it at that, Tyler. Uh, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure, and stay online here, and we'll we'll jam out a bit more. But that's it for the off ball. All right, thanks a lot, man. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Off Ball Podcast. If you'd like to learn more please visit my website at www.martinreader.ca and subscribe to my starting lineup email list. Through that, I'll be sharing more about the Off-Ball Movement, the app that I'm launching soon, my Off-Ball Academy, and more about coaching, being an athlete, and parenting, and how we can impact the culture of youth and high-performance sport. And you can follow the Off-Ball Movement on Instagram at Athlete, as well as myself at Martin J. Reader. Thanks again.